wasn't sure I'd ever uh, step out and do my own thing. It took this place to do it. And it is Virginia Tech. This isn't some rinky-dink-ass program. I don't know if I could follow that one up. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Pete, nobody's looking at your tweets. We're going to recruit our footprint, and we're going to work our tails off to bring those Virginia kids to Blacksburg. Those situations are the worst when you are on top yeah. of another guy. The relationships are very important to me. That's what this place is built on. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. At 95 Miami, is, is my fondest name. And maybe the experience after the Sugar Bowl with Wes Worsham and J.C. Price on Bourbon Street. <laughs> Come on, J.C. I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. It is roasty goodness, even though I was out. What's open. the percent on that? 11. It was a dream come true back then, and it's a dream come true today. Hey, Mom, why don't you try a rail? We're going to put this old guy in a grave. For the love of the game. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Mm, we just got better, guys. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthaud, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech lost to Pitt 45-29. to We didn't cover, Robbie. How you feeling? <laughs> Uh, I feel okay. Uh, no, I, I don't, I don't feel great about it. Um, but it's, it's all right. We're, we're, I'm, I'm moved on. Let's just put it that way. I didn't have to watch it live. So that was kind of, that was nice. I was in a golf tournament all weekend. Give us a cheers, man. Uh, Lift my spirits. (laughs) uh, I don't know if I have that. Let's see. I am. Yeah. I. I, That's like lifting. You know. Can I raise the dead? uh, At this point, I don't know if I have. It's like when a mother saves her baby from underneath a car and she like turns it over. That's what you need to do right now. Yeah. Well, it's it's almost Halloween, so that would be like yeah, where I would have to cast some sort of you know raise the dead. Uh, Here's a here's a cheery thought. because we uh, opted out of our bowl game a while ago, this season isn't going to uh, break our bowl streak. How's that? That's nice. So yeah. uh, not otherwise, we would have a double whammy. We would have the really bad season going, and we would have uh, the bowl streak bro- broken. But in 2020, we opted out, so it was already broken. So jokes on everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cheers to that. Yeah. And that actually is a nice segue because on Twitter this week, I said, I still could see us winning six games. So I'm not ruling out that bowl streak. I mean, we knew that this section of the schedule with UNC, Pitt, Miami, and NC State, like that was a really tough stretch of games. Yeah. Now with the beginning not going well, we didn't build up a buffer to to feel better about six or seven wins. However, there are winnable games coming down the stretch. And I would even venture to say that like the Miami game is winnable. The line is a touchdown right now. We will get to Miami in a little bit, but I'm not ready to give up on the bowl. I know probably a lot of the fans have about becoming bowl eligible, but I I still think there's a glimmer of hope out there. So you're saying you want to get the bowl streak going again. Yes. yes. I want to continue the new bowl streak. (laughs) You want to start, go for two years in a row. Um, Well, last year's bowl was pretty forgettable. Let's just say that. (laughs) When is the pinstripe ever, you know, want something to remember? Oh, we definitely don't want to remember that one. Let's talk about some of the other games that happened this past weekend because we did lose our game to Pitt, and it was disappointing, but there were some bright spots we'll get into. But a lot of other action happened. Clemson crushed BC. 
something we we didn't think BC had two weeks in a row in them, and they did not. Uh, and they actually moved to number four. Clemson did. They moved ahead of Michigan because of the of, of their performance this past weekend. Tennessee is at number six going into the huge matchup versus Alabama. And Alabama, after messing around with Texas A&M, has dropped back to number three, Robbie. Your wife's Ohio State Buckeyes are two. Yes. the Ohio State has played nobody but has destroyed all of them. Uh, the Alabama situation is a little bit interesting because I was listening to podcasts. I wasn't following it that closely, but... That game opened as Alabama as a 16 and a half point favorite in that game. And the line in the Tennessee game. And it dropped, I'm guessing, all the way down to what is it at now? Seven. Yeah. It has. Did it drop because of the quarterback? I think, I think, you know, Bryce Young is questionable, right? Yeah. But I mean, but most people thought he was questionable anyway. So I. I think I'm I'm seeing it at seven and a half right now. No, I think it dropped because Tennessee is legit and Bama has not played that well this year. And okay. you know, most people when um like when I heard that, dude, I would throw a shitload of money on Tennessee with a seventeen point you know, if it came know, in yeah, at two crazy. touchdowns, yeah, I think I would I would I could see why it got, you know, juiced yeah. down or whatever. Yeah. But that is interesting. We had Wake moving up to number fourteen. NC State outlasted Florida State. They're sitting at 15, but haven't really played well. Now they've got their own quarterback injury to worry about. Um, and then we got 5-0. and Syracuse is who they're playing next in the Dome. So that NC State team, they've had a couple tough weeks in a row of games. Uh, and then they have us, which I guess is no longer thought to be tough. But uh, historically, it would be a tough matchup for them, too. It's they're, they're, we'll see. If they get by Syracuse in the Dome, I'll start to believe in them a little bit more. I know it's Syracuse, but Syracuse is good this year. They're, they're pretty solid. Come, coming into the season, outside of it being in the Dome and our thoughts on it being difficult to play there, weren't your expert expectations for NC State to be more scared of Syracuse than playing Virginia Tech? I mean, that, doesn't that just seem so rational? <laughs> yeah, right. I, that I, is I, not... The Not world. the way we expected it to go down. That's <laughs> that is for sure. The world has changed. Um, yeah, I I don't I don't know how Syracuse is five and zero. They've had some they've had some good luck, and the quarterback has started playing really well, uh, and their defense is good, which you don't necessarily think of from a Dino Babers team. But it's they're ranked, and you know that's going to be a fun game. Mississippi State, Mike Leach, man, he did it again. He's five and one. They're number 16. They've benefited from playing some backup quarterbacks over the last couple weeks, and now they get to go and play Kentucky, who shouldn't be ranked, mm-hmm. and they're missing their quarterback. <laughs> yeah. It's a rough season all around. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the quarterback position is getting thin across the country. And I did want to just point out that JMU had their first ever top 25 ranking as an FBS team. And UNC actually came in just behind them. So the UNC is not in the poll. They're number 26 in the votes. But JMU is number 25. Let's move to the depth chart injury update. We know Dorian Strong didn't play. Garbett was a kind of a surprise. He didn't play. And Gosnell didn't play, still dealing with his injury. Chapman had to leave the game. We're getting a little banged up. But we did get better in the, in the aspect that uh, Malachi 
came back and played and played well. And that was a, a nice lift for the team. Yeah. So, and we'll get into his performance, but desperately needed him, even if it's to make a one-two punch of him and King, which happened in that, in that game, uh, I think um, is, is huge to have him back uh, still struggling in some of those other positions. Gus now is not great, um, but we need to get some of these guys back, and we do get Alan Tisdale back, if I'm not mistaken, which is a, a huge boon given yeah, that, that position is, has been a mess. That's big. Yeah, we've had a carousel, <laughs> a merry-go-round of different guys coming in and out at that Will linebacker position, and to add someone like Alan Tisdale, who's a veteran, um, while we've always kind of been waiting for Alan to take that next step, I am, after what we just saw, I am grateful to be getting him back uh, at the Will linebacker. He's already moved to the top of the depth chart, and Malachi is at the top of the depth chart. Like, he's he's the number one running back listed now. So that is some good news going into our matchup with Miami. We moved up one spot to number 86 in the SP Plus, if anyone's keeping track still. Uh, still number 118 on offense, 44th on defense. The defense obviously keeps coming down after our first few strong performances earlier in the year. And even though our kickers completely shit the bed in Pittsburgh, we're still 30th on special teams. I'm not quite sure how, but... It's got to be more heavily weighted on some of the other stuff, I'm, I'm assuming, because... I mean, field goal kicking has been good. Punting has been good. That game was terrible, obviously. We had the blocks, um, punt, the block kick. So it, it was a nightmare, but it was one game out of the six. I think yeah. overall you consider. I think it's also because we really haven't gotten much out of our kick return or punt return units whatsoever. Nothing out of punt return. And, and, and you can't fault them um we did also have the muff in that game as well which was not not great so well it got called back called back but it was still uh, yeah Yeah. understood it wouldn't go in factor in there but i'm just saying the special teams in general was uh, a nightmare in the in the game overall we got just two calls on a reaction line this was the lightest week of the reaction (laughs) i think people are kind of not watching the games or not interested i don't know but it was it was definitely low, but we'll play those two calls for you now. Every second half offensive drive is like going on your favorite roller coaster, and then at the end, the kid in front of you throws up on you. Goodbye. P, Robbie, how you guys doing? There was improvement, as we had all hoped. Unfortunately, it was not enough. Abaconda forever. Also, stoned again on my kid's swing set for obvious reasons. All right, roll damn Hokies. I'm going to hang up and listen to you now. Just two calls, but they were good ones. They both went for the comedic aspect, which I can appreciate. Uh, man, it was... It, that does speak to how the team's doing right now. People just, they don't want to react. Like It's more fun to give a negative reaction, I think, or even react at all when you know you're going to see something good. When there's really, When you've already said, hey, we can't tackle... Hey, that you know the offense is sputtering. Hey, the defense like gave up a long run. You can only say it so many times. When you can only say 
their running back made uh, their defense, our defense, look like like when my daughter's trying to chase me in the backyard and she's five years old and <laughs> I can just, yeah, at a moment's notice, just use my long legs and get like a good 10 yards away from her and then let her get a little bit close and then she'll never touch me. That's basically what happened in this game. <laughs> yeah, I like how the caller said, Abaconda forever. <laughs> That's right. He, that some, and some say he's still running to this day. Yeah. I think that was just another touchdown by <laughs> Abaconda. So make sure you call the reaction line this week. It's 540-251-2169. No matter what's happening in the Miami game, we need your calls. Because I think it helps people kind of laugh off the loss a little bit if we lose. Or, you know, laugh in, in the spoils of victory if we win. <laughs> yes. It, if you if you can't laugh at yourself, then you know. Then what do you got going for you? I'm All right, just... let's hop into the game recap here. Uh, first quarter was a little slow. We started off defending the run well, but that quickly went away. Pitt took a seven nothing lead. We answered quickly. We went seventy five yards in four plays. Scored on the TD run by Malachi. That was his big welcome back to CFB. But we missed the extra point because <laughs> we're not allowed to have anything nice. So it was seven to six. We added a field goal on our next drive to make it 9-7, and we were actually able to build on that lead after the interception by Jenkins and got the nice TD run by King. So we're up 16-7, but Pitt added 10 points in the second quarter, and they took a 17-16 lead into the half, mainly because we penalized ourselves out of multiple field goals in the first half. Pitt would add two Abanaconda TDs to begin the third, and things weren't looking good, but the Hokies did not quit to their credit. With us down 31-16, Wells hit Lofton with a deep pass in the end zone to make it 31-23, and shortly thereafter we scored again on the punt block to make it 29-31, but the conversion attempt with Holston did fail. We got the ball back early in the fourth quarter, and we were driving for the lead. When disaster struck, Smith came up stumbling out of a third down catch right into a defender, got walloped, ball falls on the ground. Pitt recovers, first down, long run for Abinaconda, with a penalty added. Then another run by Abinaconda that resulted in a touchdown, and that was the dagger. Though he wasn't done yet, he did add an 80-yard TD run for good measure, and the Hokies lost 45-29. to I thought the story of the game was, obviously, our inability to defend the run. But on a brighter note, I thought it was the way that we didn't quit. No, we did not did not quit. And in fact, I did not get to get watch this game live. So I had an idea in my head seeing the stats of what transpired on the field. And the film really did not match up to what I was expecting. Like I expected this to have been Pitt running away with it and Avocado just, you know, doing what he wanted on the ground, not being able to get any tackles uh, for a loss, not being able to bring anybody down whatsoever in the backfield, and Pitt kind of running away with us and us maybe scoring a couple points late. That really wasn't the case when you go back and and watch it. It was a pretty close game. It was a what, a two-point game at the with 12 minutes left, I think, in the fourth quarter? Yeah. Which uh, 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter, the game was 29-31. So and we did actually, we could not stop the run, yes, but there were a lot of tackles behind the line of scrimmage. I think we had... Uh, Wasn't it 11? 11 tackles for a loss. Uh, so the defense at times was able to buck up or bow up, however you want to 
talk about it and uh, get some stops. It just when that guy would break free, he was just he was just gone. It was yeah. a twenty yarder, twenty four yarder, you know, eighty yarder. It was it was a lot, and he was just so much more athletic and faster than all of our defense, and it was incredible. I I put it in my notes that it reminded me of Khalil Herbert, mainly because of the speed. Like that breakaway speed is just very unique. Like for a bigger back, like Khalil, I would. I would say he wasn't a bigger back, but he was a good sized back and he had hella speed. And this kid did too, man. And if you looked at the carries that Vincent Davis had, it was like four carries for five yards. He wasn't having the success. Like this was an example of an extremely skilled runner having a day. Like obviously we didn't play well and we wore down like our guys. There's a reason that like, 140 of his yards came in the last 12 minutes or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, we got we got worn down and it wasn't like that the whole game. In fact, the first 5 carries, we held him to negative 1 yard. Like the defense started out defending the run well and that's that's why it was so surprising because we are good at defending the run. Mm-hmm. And it just got out of hand. And then you add you add an 80-yarder bust through the nose when our team is kind of like down in the dumps like I don't know, like that sucks and it adds to the whole day, but it wasn't how the whole game went. Right. And I think Bryant hit it on kind of the nail on the head. And this keeps coming up a lot every week. I think this is the fourth or fifth time he's said something along the lines of it's not just one thing that like is repeatedly getting us. It's like a mixed bag of things. And when I watched the run game, that's exactly what I said because I saw at first a few of the missed tackles and bad angles taken by some of the defensive. Um, well, I think it was some linebackers or, or maybe some people coming up in coverage from the back. And then that kind of went away, and then we would have some tackles for a loss. And then I would see a play where he wasn't on the ground, and Abaconda would have two guys around him, and they would both – stop tackling like he was just going to fall over like he was not a good enough back and he would just then he would just keep running it was like he would just keep his legs churning and they would be sitting there with empty hands not have grabbed it you know grabbed the guy or brought him down so it was just so choppy in the way that it was you know one play looked really good the next play looked like absolute dog crap and it was it was so all over the place yeah there were like some good run fits and some good tackles, but you know, it only takes a couple. And in this case, there was at least six because that's how many touchdowns he had just to, to frame this performance just a little bit. Uh, it was the most yards we ever gave up to one running back in a game that surpassed Gio Bernard's record of 262. Andy Bitter put out the stat that Abinaconda had 282 yards before contact. <laughs> think about that oh my goodness. he only had 320 so like most of the time he wasn't contacted i yeah. i don't even know if I, that that's he had nine <laughs> yards per carry um if you take away the first five runs and just go with the last 31 carries he was over 10 yards a carry yeah. so basically a first down every time he touched the ball on average and this is a great stat that bitter put out he's the first power five player to top 300 rushing yards and have six touchdowns in a game since Ricky Williams did it against Rice when he won the Heisman in 98. Wow. So, <laughs> so talking about 24 years ago, the last time this type of performance was done by a, 
a P5 player, and the guy who did it won the Heisman. <laughs> and it was against Rice. <laughs> and it was against Rice, like a really crappy team, yes. Um, so that's just, that's all you need to know about what Abinaconda did. It was historic, and he broke the pit rushing record, which we know the names that have come out. Tony Dorsett, LaShawn McCoy, it, it is absolutely endless. I, I'm not even going to be be able to do it justice, but there's so many good running backs, and he now has the record for most yards in the game at running. So pretty ridiculous. Now, our defense, we got shredded two weeks in a row, but they were in completely different ways. Yes. <laughs> one was because of the pass, and this one was because of the run. So which one are we actually – good at which one are we worse at it's it's hard to say right now i, I don't i don't know uh we held you know slovis to he was 15 for 28 and he had 170 yards and one interception and they just they gave up they there were some pass plays towards the end they didn't completely give up on the pass just because of how well the run game was going but the passing game between virginia tech and pitt was very much a mirror image of each other. Granted, there were a lot more passes thrown by Virginia Tech in this game because they didn't really have you know the run going, up, obviously, in the same manner. It all came down to, offensively, the difference between these two teams was all on the ground. And the week before, um, at least in the past game, it was the complete opposite, and they were throwing the ball all over us. So... I don't know. I, I don't know what to, to say other than maybe this team is only only talented enough to really kind of defend one or the other effectively, and they don't have the number of guys or talent talented enough team and defensive players to do both you know, pretty effectively. That's the only thing I can come up with is if you're going to try and stop one, then you're going to get hurt with the other pretty badly. Yeah. And I think the depth comes into play because as I already said, a lot of those yards came in late. Look at what happened against West Virginia. It was a game up until halftime. And then it started to spiral out of control. UNC pretty similar. And then this was to the nth degree when it came to the score, like we were winning or, very close to tying it, and then all of a sudden it's out of hand. So I think the depth comes into play there. We just don't have the guys to replace. They get tired, and then um, you can see what happens there. But there were bright spots. Like Slovis didn't play well, as you said. He had his lowest QBR of the season, and we had 11 tackles for loss somehow Mm -hmm. and six hurries. We only got home on, what, one sack? Yeah. But And so that was a bit of an issue. But, like, we're getting pressure. We're getting in the backfield and we're defending the pass well, but like Abanaconda just tore us a new one. Like literally if he didn't play, we probably win this game. Yeah. I think we would absolutely win this game. Like, I don't think another running back on that roster had the capability to do what they did. No, because they actually tried it a couple times and then they just stopped. I I think they, when they brought marched out their other running back, they did it for a little bit and like he had a few runs and they were just like, well, this is kind of stupid. You know, there's like, no real I knew, point. I knew he was good, but like, these are the kind of games, like he was having a good season. What do you have, like 500 yards before this game even started? Like he was having a nice year. But like, this is the kind of game that like launches your season into a new direction. Yep. And like he, if he can stay healthy, like he could really have a, a tremendous end of the season. And I, I hate that he got the springboard against us, but I'm almost hoping he does at this point because 
I don't want this to be the outlier. Like Virginia Tech is so bad. Look what he was able to do against them. He only had a hundred yards against everybody else. Yeah, I don't want. I don't want what happened with UNC and Miami this past week, where I'm, I'm feeling like maybe their their offense isn't as potent as a, I originally thought. Exactly. Um, yeah, and then in terms of our offense, I would yeah, say we got to talk about the offense. Yeah. Grant Wells goes 25 for 47. When was the last time we threw 47 passes in, in a game? Am I looking at that that wrong? Uh, it was a lot of passes. No, you're right. Yeah, and 277 yards, which also kind of blew me away. We had one TD, one interception. I'm not even counting that as an interception because it was a Hail Mary at the end of the half. Mm-hmm. Um, so he did have a great deep ball to loft, and him and Caleb Smith were just – you know, matching up all night, nine receptions for 152 yards. And other than taking that huge hit uh, where the ball pops out, which I, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be very, very surprised if he was able to hold on to that ball for how hard he got hit. Those two were connected, but um, in terms of the pass game, that was really it. It was kind of the long pass to Lofton and uh, him and Caleb Smith, you know, really connecting all night. And, he threw a couple deep balls, okay, good, but overall the performance was, you know, mediocre at best, especially for how much we went to the throw in this game. You know, I I did like how we used Taquan Wright again. Mm-hmm. He got five catches for forty seven, and he looks like he's going to be really good. Like I, I'm the way he moves and the way he can break a tackle here and there and yeah. run routes. Like he looks like a very good player. My biggest complaint with the Caleb Smith thing is not the fumble. It's we need to throw to him more. Yeah. Like he's he's unbelievable. He caught so many balls, um, and in the last couple games we've seen this where we start throwing to Caleb, and then it doesn't happen. And that was kind of starting to go that way in this game again because I guess they just cover him or something is what the teams are doing. But we did get back to him, yeah. and I I don't really put the, he came out of that break on that catch. It was a great third down catch, and he was stumbling and he never had his balance. And it was just a really tough play. And I feel bad for him because, you know, he was sick to his stomach. You could see him the way he was laying on the field. That was a tough play. But I would say that Grant Wells had a well above average day, especially for him. Like, it was his best QBR of the season. It was just a 67.8, but it was his best, and it came against Pitt. So, like, that's a that's a tough defense to play against regardless of the year. And he had a nice day. It was our most yards Versus an FBS opponent this year, 403. Our most yards per play, 5.2. Our most yards per carry versus anyone, even Wofford, at 4.2. So getting Malachi back was big. Getting Caleb Smith more involved was big. And it it just, the explosive plays we saw, I think it was 10 plays of 20-plus yards. And so I was encouraged. And if you throw in the defensive performance – with the offensive performance, I still walk away from the pick game feeling more encouraged about getting additional wins than I did before it started. Oh, yeah. I would certainly agree with that. And you could see the difference with Malachi Thomas in the way that he was running the ball. And even that first TD run that you that saw from him was a nice play. But then King's run was even better. That he He looked great on that. So I really do think... Uh, having that ability for those two to spell each other and give each other a little bit of time. And 
I know Thomas got almost all the carries, like you know, or a vast majority of the carries. But I do think having somebody there that can can be a little bit of a threat that um, isn't being first f- forced into the number one spot when he's probably uh, the number two back on the team is is a nice play off of each other. So I, I agree. It was. We didn't do a lot of damage, especially, you know, you throw 47 passes and you really come away with kind of a net zero interceptions. I think that's pretty solid, especially for, for how many times he threw the ball deep. Um, you can get yourself in trouble with that, um, you know, more often than not. Definitely. And I thought the offensive line had a nice day. It built a little bit on its UNC performance, but this came against what I would consider a very nice and stout D-line. Mm-hmm. And... We had our best yards per carry, and I know Grant Wells was under pressure, but it's Pitt. Like, they they pressure. Like, that's what they do, and we were still able to get some rushing TDs, and it, it's not going to be a, a big difference. I'm just saying I we identified it at UNC. It looked a little bit better, and I thought at Pitt it looked a little bit better again yep. with the, regard to the O-line. Let's go over the, the brief couple bad things before we cut out and do Miami. Uh the penalties, eight for 74. We're, we're back with this. We do one game with a ton of penalties. We do one game without them. You put the over-under at 25 penalties in this game. You you kind of called the fact that there'd be a bunch of them. And it wasn't 25, but it was about 17 or 18. So it was it was quite a few. I think they had nine and we had eight. So 17. Okay. It was 17. And honestly, their penalties did... Um, they took penalties in really bad spots. That was they one did. thing I did notice in the game that ended up helping us out a lot. I think their penalties came at more inopportune times than Virginia Tech's did in, in a lot of situations. Well, I think. hold that thought. What about the one where we false started when we're going to go for it, and then we got a delay of game where we're going to kick a field goal, and then we got nothing? I'm <laughs> saying that, but that's one instance. I'm saying of, instance, their, yes. of their nine. I think as an overall package, theirs were in pretty damaging they spots. Hurt, yeah. yeah, they hurt both teams. The Parker Clements personal foul when we were down in field goal range and that then a sack on the next play, like that was a rough sequence too. Like this like I why are why are we the most penalized team basically in the ACC? Like what the hell is going on? I thought we were gonna work this out. That was a first couple games thing, and now it's game six and we're still seeing it. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It either. was a, it, and it was once again kind of a a mixed bag of penalties as well. So it's hard to identify. It was everything. Yeah, it's hard to identify what the what the issue is. Except everybody is just, you know, just got just not always paying attention to what they're doing. Yeah. I wanted to bring up one instance of bad play calling. I know people have been on Bowen and that you know he's a fraud and needs to be fired and this and that. Um, not everyone, just a few choice people on, online. But there was a point where Malachi had just had a nice long run down the sideline. And we get pretty close to field goal range or maybe even close to the red zone. And we did three straight passes yeah. after that. Like, literally, we just had our longest run of the night. And then he called three straight passes. And that you just... I don't get the logic there. Yeah, And we had already overpassed like we were passing so much more than we were running seemingly mm-hmm. uh that was an instance that i just remember clear as day there were there were other times when you can nitpick anything but that was that was very disappointing yep i would agree 
Okay, that's about it for Pitt. Did you have any final takeaways you wanted to mention? Uh, I guess we could, we didn't talk about the special teams. We uh, we mentioned the kicking. Um, a nice I block guess. block for the block was cool. The block that was, was cool great. for a touchdown. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool to see. Um, I don't know why Peter Moore couldn't punt the ball better in in this game. Like that that was the most surprising of all. I mean, you know, Will Ross was due for a miss here or there, especially with that Pittsburgh grass field and the winds that blow in there, but. I don't know what the heck was going on with the punts. They were getting pressure on him and maybe it got in his head, yeah. but uh, that was strange. That yeah. was really strange. He might, who knows? Maybe he had a, maybe he had a Friday night bender or something like that. <laughs> and the, the leg was a little tight and need some, just get the icy hot on it for yeah. next week. Anyway. All right, let's move on to Miami. But before we do that, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, downtown crown wine and beer and dominion wine and beer. I love these places. You know, at Dominion, this is one of Robbie's go-to spots for food and drinks outside with the tents. You got the TVs and stuff. I know you and your wife enjoy that place. Yeah, I love it. And uh, even if you, a lot of people are both uh, college fans and NFL fans. So even if you're struggling a little bit with watching the Hokies right now and some of the performances and in, in the games, you can always catch them on Sunday and go out there and see some games and, and watch some NFL, uh, depending on what your, what your team is and how their, their season's yeah, going. Hopefully it's not the commanders. <laughs> yes. Hopefully, hopefully it's not the commanders though. Um, but if you're, yeah, if you're like a chiefs fan and watched the game this past weekend, which was crazy, then you can, you can really enjoy it. So, it was, um, I love the place. I think the food's great. I think the beer selection is awesome. Uh, every time that I would go in there, they would have different beers on tap. So you're really not, you know, you go to a place that has kind of a nice beer selection. And oftentimes you'll find it's the same thing. I have a restaurant down the street that I love to death and they have great food and they have a really good beer selection, but they never change the taps and they never change what it is. So it's a really good selection, but it's always the same beers. Uh, that is not the case with Dominion. If you go there, they're rotating new beers in there all the time. So it's always, that's kind of cool. You just open up the menu and you just, you're looking for, you know, what do they have today and what's something new that I haven't had before on, on draft. It, you're right. That's a great point because they do rotate their taps so often. And maybe to some people that'd be disappointing because they can't get the thing they want to go back to. Me, I love it because I'm always trying to try new beers. Like when I go to the beer store, I like to do the, like the fill your own six pack yeah. of like the different beers. Like I'm always because you don't want to commit to a full six sometimes of all these craft beers. But that's the great thing about Dominion and Downtown Crown. They both have awesome rotating taps. Great bars that you can sit, but the store is right there too. So when you leave, pick up what you need and head back and watch the game at your house if you don't feel like sticking around. But make sure to check them out this season for all your alcohol needs. You've got Downtown Crown in Gaithersburg and Dominion right on Main Street in Falls Church. Robbie, for right now, I need to know what you're drinking. I am having um, just a Sam Adams. Earlier I was actually having the uh, Lagunitas... um, uh, non-alcoholic IPA, uh, the I, um, I forget what they call it, N-I-I-N-I-P-A, uh, non-alcoholic IPA, and now I'm having a Santa Adams, just the haze, and uh, another non-alcoholic IPA as well, and some green tea. 
going with the antioxidants uh, for this evening. Got to keep uh, that voice fresh. Yeah, that's that's really what most people I think have on in their mind when they they hear me talk is he must really uh, drink a lot of green tea and and do do stuff to uh, keep his uh, his vocal cords nice and fresh. I do warm up exercises before we do this. Yo, <laughs> exactly. Uh, what are you having over there? I'm drinking the Elysian, the Great Pumpkin, Imperial Pumpkin Ale. Elysian has a variety of pumpkin beers. Yes. They got the Pumpkinchino, they got the Night Owl, they got this one, and I think there's there's a fourth, at least a fourth one. It has another pumpkin name, but either way, this Great Pumpkin it's a little bit stronger than the other ones. I think it's a eight percent or so. But it is packed with flavor. Like there's a ton of pumpkin, spices, nutmeg, whatever you want to say in there. Cinnamon, cloves, allspice, 8.4%. And this thing's banging. I probably have had this on the pod, but I'm a fan of all of Elysian's pumpkin beers. They they make a really nice product. The Night Owl was my favorite for a couple of years. Uh, it's a little bit on the sweet side. And even this one, you can tell it's got a little bit more sugar content in it. But I would highly recommend it. It's it's right up there with like the pumpkin with that kind of almost a very strong, sweeter pumpkin beer. But I think I like this one better than the pumpkin. It's pumpkin. Elysian, the great pumpkin. Elysian like really jumps on board with the whole pumpkin beer things. Like I guess most other breweries I find put out one and that's it. They just do one. Mm. It it's rare to see somebody come out with multiple different pumpkin beers uh and i think it's something that just a personal preference of the brewers over there that they like them and they you know put out a bunch of different ones because um it's it's unique i think for for that brewery and yeah and they weren't really on the east coast that much until i want to say five years ago and now you can find it in every beer store i used to only be able to get it maybe at downtown crown maybe like one other really good beer store and now you can find it just about everywhere and like some some breweries do have multiple pumpkins, but sometimes they're variations of each other. Like Southern Tier, for example, they've got like four different versions of the pumpkin. Mm-hmm. But these are with Elysian, it's all different styles. Right. So it's definitely a commitment from the brewery. They must they must like them. Here you go. What's uh what do you think the word Elysian means? What would you guess? Like that's it's a movie with Matt Damon too, right? Like where it's like a another world, and he's like a partial robot does that have something to do with the definition could be it's an adjective it means relating to or characteristic of heaven or paradise so you could say like elysian visions which would be like oh i'm thinking of elysium yes (laughs) that's the name of the movie there there you go (laughs) you can tell i'm enjoying this imperial (laughs) (laughs) so a blissful state is another uh word so i think it's uh it's nice it's perfect for what you got going on over there yeah man i am in a blissful state well I'm getting there. If we beat Miami, I definitely will be. Yeah. Uh, Miami, Saturday, 12.30 p.m. This game is not on ABC or ESPN. It is going to be on the regional sports network, RSN, which means for you people in D.C., probably Masson. Yes. Yeah. The I didn't know that we still had games on there now that we had the ACC network. I thought that was no longer. It is. It is longer. I guess. And it's it's just like this is the VT Miami game. And this is the game like I would expect maybe the Georgia Tech game or the Duke game to be on an RSN. But the Miami game, really? Like this used to be like the noon slot or the three thirty slot or even the night game. And 
now we got 1230 on RSN. Like I, I, um, it's hard to believe that that's where VT Miami is, but we got two losing teams here. Yeah, one lost to Old Dominion, the other one got boat raced by MTSU. So uh, <laughs> let's. Uh, um, yeah, we're that's... taking some humble pie right now, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's... They're coached by Mario Cristobal. This is his first year, and they've lost three in a row. Robbie mentioned the MTSU loss, 45 to 31, but they also lost to UNC and Texas AM to start off that streak. And the NM game was pretty close and was down in college station. So there wasn't really shame in that, but the MTSU thing, I mean, they got killed. Middle Tennessee got killed by JMU first game of the year. And that team beat Miami. This team is so Jekyll and Hyde in particular on their defense. So they allow 13 to Bethune, which, that's a lot of points for for up to the giving up to them. They go seven points given up to the Southern Miss, seventeen against A and M, forty five to MTSU, and then after that, twenty only twenty seven to UNC, which is which is a tremendous offense. Yeah, well, I have no clue what the hell is going on with this team from week to week, but it is uh, it's all over the place. On so they can have a really good defensive performance and then turn around and throw. Not a stinker, a true stinker in that MTSU game, and some of the others just you know not as not as good. Well, it reminds me of the UNC defense in that we know Miami has a lot of talent on that team. So on any given week, if you get the right motivation or they happen to get a good night's sleep, who the hell knows? Those teams can have an outstanding performance, and clearly Miami just did against UNC to hold them to twenty-seven points, and. Maybe that means that they will not this week. Uh, just law of averages. They haven't been playing that well, mm-hmm. and hopefully they they kind of fall back to what they're normally doing. Do you know who their defensive coordinator is at Mo- on Miami? No, not it's even. Kevin Steele. Oh, <laughs> really? so I, and I know the way you react. I I know you know about his reputation. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, interesting. Wasn't Kevin Steele? Weren't they trying to get him to be the head coach um, at? Uh, Auburn. Auburn. Yeah, they were... They the were, boosters were, were... He had, like, the backing of some of the boosters or something. Yeah, they were trying to get Gus Malzahn fired so they could get Kevin Steele to the uh, the head coaching position. So that's um, that's interesting. I did not know that. And he's not, like... And they got Josh Gaddis for the offense. Mm-hmm. So they went out and they kind of got two names mm-hmm. at the two. But there's question marks with both of those coordinators. Josh Gaddis, people don't know what level of respect to give him with regard to how well they did at Michigan last year. Like, was it Harbaugh or was it him? Because I don't even think Gaddis was calling the plays, right? Yeah, because – and Gaddis had come from uh, Alabama uh, previous to that, I thought. Yeah, he did Michigan. the Nick Saban rehab tour. Exactly, and then went to – and that's what confused everybody even more, But and whether or not he was going to be calling plays and whether he was going to do anything, and then and I guess he, he went to, um, to UNC. So um, nobody has really – figure because he had the same question marks at Alabama was it really him at Alabama or was it Alabama and the players and was it Mm -hmm. you know what what he had around him and so uh, to me that that even links more into the on the defensive side specifically with Steele like it's very Gene Mm Chiswick-esque right like a guy who has some respect in the game but a guy that a lot of reporters and people in the know like to make fun of as well for not really being as good as he's said to be yeah so it, it's it creates an interesting matchup but let's talk about the offense because tyler van dyke has been 
the big story for Miami coming into the year, and he remains so because they actually benched him two games ago when they played Middle Tennessee. And he played the UNC game, and he played really well. Yeah, the Tyler Van Dyke was... You and I talked about Tyler Van Dyke coming into the season of a reason that people should actually, you know, pay attention to Miami this year. They could be a real difference maker. And in the beginning of the season, he really did not. And he didn't really live up to to the hype of what, what we were thinking. To put it in perspective, he had 1,300 yards in the season, and he got benched for a couple games. 64% completion percentage, seven TDs, four interceptions. That said... In the UNC game alone, he went 42 for 57 with 496 yards and three TDs in that game. And that's so, ridiculous. Almost half, and it's not quite almost half. I'm using a little bit of an exaggeration there, but nearing half of his total yards came just in the UNC game uh, for yeah. the season and almost half his touchdowns as well. And if you look at his efficiency metrics, like they're still not that good. Mm-hmm. So even though he had an outstanding game against UNC, like he's passing for a ton of yards. They are second in passing yards per game in the ACC. But the QBR and the passer rating haven't been great. But he goes up against that crappy UNC defense who just so happened to make us look like shit. <laughs> and they don't play well and he tears them a new one. And so... Now, what Tyler Van Dyke do we have here? Did he is he actually better, or did he get to go up against a bad UNC secondary and look really good in a spot where he knew he needed to be good because he just got benched? So he's a good player, extremely talented, should be drafted at some point. But he was playing very poorly in the beginning of the season, and his QBR isn't much different from Grant Wells. In fact, it's just like two points better. And we saw how Slovis was within three points and Slovis didn't play well against us. Mm -hmm. He's gettable. Like we, we can make him have a bad day if we don't crap ourselves. Like I I don't, if we don't do what we did against UNC in the secondary, we should have a decent game against him. Garbett is probably not going to play again. I'm guessing he might, but it's not looking good and strong. Is, not looking is good. Not looking good at all. So that hurts us. Yeah. We we could really use those guys, but I still think TVD, as he's known, could have a bad day, and that's that's how I think we can win this game. One, they're coming to Blacksburg, but two, we got six hurries, eleven tackles for loss against Pitt. We can do that to Miami, especially because they're a little nicked up on the O line right now. So let me take your question from how you started this whole thing and the premise that you went off of, which is whether or not Tyler Van Dyke got his shit together and whether he's actually good. And I'll propose something. If you take out the Virginia Tech game, we're creating our own confusion here because the only thing that UNC, the only time (laughs) that the defense played well was against our trash offense if you take that data point out, UNC is still and remains a very trash defense, except mm-hmm. for the anomaly that we ourselves created. So let's <laughs> let's just say our offense was just so bad that UNC's defense is really bad, and therefore 
I propose that Tyler Van Dyke does not have his shit fully together and is not doing that well this season, despite his numbers in the last game. And unlike Keaton Slovis, who's about the same as Tyler Van Dyke, he doesn't have Abinaconda behind him. Right. He's got some good running backs. They've got the duo of Parrish and Franklin. They're over 500 yards combined and nine TDs together. About a 4.7 average for those guys. And they still have Jalen Knighton. But I don't think either of them is Abinaconda. No. And I don't think that Miami runs the ball very well. Like that's like that's what Pitt wants to do. That's what Narduzzi wants to do. They want to run the ball and run it well. That's not been the focus for Miami. Yeah. Henry Parrish, he's got 78 carries on the year. His long is 24 yards. Thaddeus mm-hmm. Franklin, he's got 40 carries on the year. His long is 26 yards. So this is not the same running back that we just saw this past week, the running back core that we just saw this past week. Um, hell, he broke 24 and 26 yards multiple times in that game just against us. So a little bit different of what we're going up to. And they don't they don't prioritize the run, as you said, the same way that Pitt does. It's just not as much of a focus for them. And their leading receiver is their tight end. They have a lack of top wide receiving talent on the outside right now. Restrepo is hurt. He's probably out till next month with a foot injury. That was their top guy. So they've got Smith and Reddig. Uh, they're both under 200 yards on the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, Caleb Smith has like 450 right yeah. now. So I think Miami's played one less game, but you get the idea. They don't have elite, dangerous receiving options. I mean, Mallory's a problem, and we've seen tight ends tear us up, but it is really just one guy and it's not he's not going to kill you with speed and so this offense it's okay 48th in the sp plus 56th in yards per play not a savant at oc Mm -hmm. or anything we can defend this team we we should go into this game with an ability to keep them under 40 points which we haven't done the last two games that's disappointing <laughs> that just, oh, that hurt. That, that that was just that was just mean at that point. You didn't have to put yeah. that that finer point on it. They're uh they're I, I did say their O lines backed up. That's because Zion Nelson, the big offensive lineman who should be drafted, uh he may not play in the game, okay. which would be really, really nice for us. Yep. Um let's move to their defense. We talked about Kevin Steele a little bit. They're 61st in the SP plus on defense, but 113th in yards per play. Yeah. So I don't know how that <laughs> I'm happens. I'm not sure exactly how that works out. I guess, like you said, some of the efficiency stuff with regard to the defense is better, but 113th in yards per play is, is heinous. Obviously, they're doing better in the red zone. Yes, that, that's all you could think. I, I do think they have a pretty dis- – and this goes back to what you said of having players and – you know, having having dudes on the team, but not necessarily the scheme or the coaching to really use them effectively or the cohesiveness to make them as dangerous. I do think when they want to get after people, they can. So they had five sacks in the UNC game. They had nine tackles for a loss and four passes defended. They So they caused some havoc in, in that UNC game. So when they want to, and they want to work together and play like an actual team and, and scheme it. I do think that they, they can they can be disruptive and they have some talent to do it. It just so happens you don't know what you're going to get from week to week mm-hmm. and what's going to end up showing up or showing up. I mean, their defensive line 
is pretty darn it has dudes i mean we 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 can say that all day but like taylor can play Mm -hmm. uh leonard taylor he's one of the highest recruits they ever got he was legit right away last year i think he ended up getting hurt but he's got three and a half tackles for loss already this year and mesador the kid from west virginia he's very disruptive he's got all kinds of different stats three pass breakups he's the kind of lineman that gets his hands up all the time something that wells will have to watch uh that D-line scares me a bit. They are very good at stopping the run, mm-hmm. which we're just starting to get on track, and we might hit a speed bump in this one with regard to the run game. However, their pass defense is terrible. It's 117th in opposing passer rating. They're, you know, th- This is someone that Grant Wells can pass against. They do sack a little bit. They Not too many... Their overall pressures in terms of sacks and hurries isn't high. Right. They're 18th in sacks, but they don't have many hurries to add to it. So they've just they've happened to get home on on some of them. I don't think Wells is going to be under crazy duress. I just think the run game's going to struggle. So mm-hmm. hopefully he can just sit back there and pass against this secondary. Yeah, I do have a bit of concern just going back to the WVU game and how bad that defensive Oh, those defensive backs were, and and us not being able to really take advantage of that. So, I would, at this point, uh, I I am encouraged by that take on things. I am. I would feel better if they were not stout whatsoever against the run, and probably more stout against at this point, and stout against the pass. Let's put it that way. I know. So, I know. Yeah. That's it's that, the opposite of kind of what we what we need right now to keep developing in the manner that we should be. Yeah, the exact opposite would have me a lot more excited about the upset. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, I think Miami's extremely beatable. Yes. And they're coming into lane, it's an early game, it's a sellout. Yeah. Like the fans, I mean God bless our fans. They show up to the freaking games or at least they they pay the money for the tickets. Um because we got a matchup between two losing teams. Our team has had three pretty depressing losses in a row, and we still sold out the damn Miami game. I know. Like, kuda. I mean, clap, clap for these fans. That was that's impressive, man. And that's why our fan base deserves more. Is because we we show the hell up. Um, I don't think what happened to our defense last week is normal, and I don't think it's going to happen again like that. I, I could be wrong. I just feel like uh, that was kind of a one-off. I'm not saying we won't give up 200 yards rushing to someone. We might do that again. But there won't be six touchdowns to some running yeah. back again this year. That that was a little exceptional. And on the whole, I think this defense can still be a very good defense when it wants to be and when it's when it can stay off the field for large portions of time. Yeah, um, especially given that's the tough part. Yeah, especially since they're running a little bit thinner. That's it. Those those minutes on the field start to be, have even more of an exacerbated impact when you don't have as much of the depth and you have guys out. So that is, yeah, that's that's the rub. And I don't I don't foresee um, somebody replicating what the what the what Pitt just did. You know, Pretty much through the rest of the season, I don't think anybody has the the capability necessarily to 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 do that. But you know, 
somebody may put up you know 200 or, or a nice night, but I, I would anticipate seeing a more stout defense and my question marks really reside back onto the offense and what, what team shows up this week. Yeah. I mean, if, if we don't commit 10 penalties, like we'll have a chance to win, Yeah. but the biggest swing factor for me in this game is how each team performs in the red zone. One, because the Hokies are doing very poorly at giving up scores in the red zone. Our defense, we're allowing opponents to score 95% of the time when they're in the red zone. It's not always a touchdown, but it's 11 TDs and seven field goals, and it's 124th nationally in percentage of red zone scoring. Miami is only giving up a score 73% of the time, which sounds like a lot, but that's 22nd nationally. Yeah. So when we, we will be able to move the ball. It's a question of once we get inside the 20 or in field goal range, it's a question of getting points. Like we must come away with points when we are deep in Miami's end. And the exact opposite is true. If we can have some stands and prevent a field goal here or prevent them from getting a touchdown somewhere when they're inside the 20, like that will be huge. And that's going to be the difference in this game. It's going to come down to the red zone scoring. Yeah, which also comes down to, for Virginia Tech, unfortunately, the penalties and avoiding those because we have shot ourselves in the foot numerous times throughout the season with penalties in, in the red zone that have backed us up and either led to field goals that could have been touchdowns or backed us up so far that we, we ended up with not, neither of those. Yeah. God. How's that? <laughs> when we when we had those two penalties that went from, oh, we're going to try this fourth down to, oh, we're going to do a field goal. I was like, okay, that that's cool. That's probably the better decision anyway. It's like, oh, no, we're not going to get anything. We're going to punt. I like – yeah I just was like at a loss, man. I was like, I cannot believe that just happened. With the season we're having mm-hmm. and the, all the focus on the penalties already, how did that just happen? Yep. We can't – that we, we'll, we won't have a prayer if we do something stupid like that against Miami. We're talking about – a razor thin margin for us right now to win a football game against a P five opponent. Mm-hmm. Like we have to be nearly perfect. Yep. I agree. All right. The line is seven. I think that's about right. Um, I think we can cover, but we'll see. Let's get into the other picks, Robbie. Okay. NC state at Syracuse, a top 20 matchup in the ACC Syracuse undefeated NC state undefeated. Syracuse is actually favored in this game. Three and a half point favorites. Yeah. Who would have thought that Orange would be favored in this game coming into the season? I am going with NC State. Mm. I, yeah. You know, that's an interesting pick. And I think I'm going to go with NC State as well because even if Leary is not playing for them, he has been average. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't necessarily think whatever backup quarterback they throw in there, I don't even know who it is that he will be necessarily worse than Leary's been this year. Yeah. And I think that the changeup could actually be an advantage. So I'm going to go with NC State as well. Clemson at Florida State. Florida State, three-and-a-half-point underdogs. Tight line. Yeah, tight, tight, tight line for this game. This game actually matters um, for once. It hasn't for almost four years, five years now. So uh, that's kind of nice. I have Clemson. Yeah. Clemson's starting to roll a little bit. I think that BC game gave me a lot of confidence. They went to uh, – Sleepy Chestnut Hill and just curb stomped them. So I think they're I think they're rolling. It's at you know it's in Tallahassee, which is a little bit frightening. But I'm going to stick with Clemson in this one. Yeah, Florida State really should have won that NC State game, mm-hmm. and they didn't. And so it kind of just it tells me the opposite of what we saw against Clemson and BC is that like they got more work to do, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm going to take Clemson to cover. UNC at Duke. 
Duke, seven-point underdogs at home going against that vaunted UNC offense. I'll go first this time. I'm going to take UNC. Yeah, this is really tough. Um, In-state. Rival. Rival game. Um, I know. Normally, I would take the points in that situation. I just... UNC is... They're tough, man. Yeah, I just don't know enough about Duke's defense to to really understand it. I know UNC's, I know Duke is going to be able to score because UNC's defense, as we have calculated with our mathematical algorithms in this podcast, concluded that UNC's defense is still trash. So it's still trash. Yes. Um, but how many points are they going to get? Well, they do up? have Mike Elko That's as their right. coach, and he likes defense. Yeah, so I'm actually going to take Duke. I talked myself into it. I could see this yeah, now, being, you know, a couple field goal game or something along those lines. Yeah, now I'm thinking Duke, too. I'm going to stick with UNC, okay. but I'm on the fence. Either way, Penn State at Michigan, top 10 matchup, big game in the Big Ten East. Michigan, seven-point favorites. This, this line is kind of uh, – Moved a little bit between like eight and seven. And at seven and a half, I'm all over Penn State. It's like so juicy. But at seven, I still like it. I, I think Penn State is going to win this game. Uh, they've they've played some really nice games this year. Michigan last week wasn't so good. Yeah. I'll go with Penn State. I had Penn State in this game. All right. Bama at Tennessee. Big game of the weekend. Tennessee does have the hook. They're seven and a half point underdogs going up against Bama in a top 10 matchup. You, you go first. I'm taking Tennessee. I, I like yeah. the, I like the hook. You went with them last week, right? Yeah. Or did you go with LSU? No, I had LSU. You talked me into it on that one. Mm. Um, yeah, that was my fault. That I was, had, that was a big botch. Cause I had, Tennessee came out and they kicked the crap out of LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going with, uh, Tennessee. I like I like the hook help there. I could see Tennessee losing this one by just an even touchdown. Yeah, I, I keep waiting for the floor to fall out for Tennessee and for Bama to turn into Bama. And I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if either one's going to happen. So I'm going to go with Tennessee as well because, I mean, the fact that Bama couldn't dispatch of Jimbo Fisher and A&M last week with all the crap that happened in this offseason yeah. and how bad we know AM actually is, and you still couldn't go out there and just whip their ass. Yeah. Like that that's not a good sign. And so I'm gonna go with Tennessee. Yeah, I mean those types of games, hell, even when people are saying can Saban's coordinator beat Saban, he goes out and throws like forty five on them and holds them to seven and this was a lot more intense than that situation and they yeah. didn't they didn't just deal with AM very well at all it's it's like us and duke basketball for whatever reason virginia tech like beats duke basketball a lot more than we should and that's a&m to alabama yep like they just play them tough again and again yep. next game oklahoma state at tcu tcu the undefeated Horn Frogs, four-point favorites at home. This is a top fifteen matchup in the Big Twelve. Uh, I'm gonna ride the. I'm gonna ride those frogs. I'm riding the frogs too. I, you know, Bud Elliott was high on the frogs going into the season. They have uh, even exceeded his expectations by far, and sure. I think they they may even lose this game. But they, I think they're still legit this season, just overall. Yeah, definitely. 
Mississippi State, Mike Leach going to UK, a game we talked about earlier. Kentucky, seven-point underdogs without their starting quarterback. It's still a top-25 matchup. I'm going to take Mississippi State to win and cover. They've been blowing teams out. Yeah, I have that as well. And last game, USC at Utah. Now, I, I love this line because this is like this. Every time these two teams play, you get a stinky line. Someone, and the translation between Utah and USC is so strange. Utah, three-and-a-half-point favorites against the Trojans, who are undefeated and playing really well. This is a top-20 matchup. Yeah, I don't understand anything that's happening in these games anymore. We had Utah. I rode, I rode the Utes last week. They had bit me in the ass, so that didn't really help. I don't, I'm uh, going Utah. Now you're flip-flopping. I'm, I'm, I'm not flip-flopping. No. When it came out, as soon as I saw that line, yeah, you're right, because I wasn't taking them. Yes. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's all I meant. I'm going with the Utes, though, because that line is so smelly. All right, I'm going to go. I'm going to stick with the Utes two weeks in a row, and I'll pay the price if they lose. Nice. All right, that does it for picks. I really want to beat Miami, Robbie. We talked about some of the hate weeks with the Virginia teams, but this is the last time we're playing Miami before we switch to the new schedule yes, and get rid of the divisions and we won't be seeing them every year. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, letting some air out of the balloon. The fact that we're not getting this on a national TV for the last game while we're in the same division, but it is what it is. I still want to beat them and we do get the advantage of it being in lane. And so I, I felt like we were going to win the day of the game when we were going into the pick game. I kind of felt like we were going to win. And for about three and a half quarters, I still felt like we were going to win. And so we're we're going to get somebody. The way this team is playing isn't great, but even BC beat Louisville. You know, like this is what happened. If you have a decent coach, which I believe while Brent Pry is having his struggles and the whole staff is struggling, I think he's decent. Yep. And we're gonna that's gonna bear out over the rest of this year. But we're gonna get somebody and who better than a on again, off again Miami team. Hey, it's it's been red multiple times on the roulette table and it's bound to turn black uh, eventually. <laughs> so that's where we're at uh, on the season. That's right. So uh I think we got a real shot. If we're gonna I think we have a better shot in this game than we do against NC State. So if we're going to do it, then yeah. I think we should go ahead and take advantage right now, especially I'd consider Pitt kind of a tough loss in the way that that game transpired and the the defense got tired and they kind of ran ran away with it. I wouldn't say they even ran away with it. it they you know, they scored they scored a couple late to to make it look bigger than they, you know, probably was during what three and a half quarters almost. Mm-hmm. So but I think we're due with this, and uh, I think this team is still pretty focused and motivated um, despite you know some of the challenges this season. Yeah. We see teams get better all the time throughout the year, and um, why not us, right? That's all we can hope for. So that's going to do it for the podcast. You can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. It's Instagram at 2DVT, the website 2DVT.com. You can stream all of our episodes, check out all of our beers, and then email us whatever you'd like. In fact, we got an email from Basil Safi, and I'm just going to read it to you, Rob, real quick. Okay. Basil asked us, if Fuente had stayed with this staff, 
Do you think the team would be doing the same, better, or worse than we are now? Ooh. Well, what what net new additions have we added to this team in terms of talent and things like that? So the, the players would relatively be the same. Most of those players understood and knew whatever you want to call the Fuente system was. Mm-hmm. So they would be doing better, no doubt, operating under the same system and not learning a new one. But for the long term, I don't. I think it would be negative for the team. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, you yeah. Can- no, I, I think we would be slightly better if Wednesday had stayed because maybe that means Burmeister stays, mm-hmm. and in the system that we were running, with maybe a couple different transfer additions, like we would be better. But like, would we be three and three? Yeah, probably. Like, we, I don't, I don't think we'd be four and two. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the right way to think about it. I don't think we're beating UNC or Pitt no, if Fuentes here. I agree. So, you know, call it what you will. I, I I think we're three and three if he's here. So maybe a little bit better, but there's no hope. That's the difference. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's if, sometimes you have to take short term pain for the long term kind of gain at the program. That would be taking a short term gain for long term pain. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for the podcast. Make sure to hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DeepVT. Uh, 2DeepVT.com is the website. And 2DeepVT at gmail.com if you want to ask us anything. Basil, we do appreciate the question. And yes, Robbie did give me the beers that you had sent. So thank you again for always being a loyal listener. And until next time when we are hopefully celebrating a big win over Miami, go Hokies. Go Hokies.